0: to be all right this morning.
1: Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Izerlowe and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3.
2: James Harden. Turn back the hands of time, so to speak, was Houston Rockets' volume scorer, James Harden. Despite wearing what can be best described in pregame heading into the arena, something from a denim-covered Lady Gaga nightmare. (laughs) I don't understand the modern style of the modern NBA athlete. I remember three-piece suits and then later guys wearing baggy jeans and Timberlands. I don't understand this, but whatever Harden wore, however you want to describe that atrocity that he wore to the arena last night, it sparked him as the Philadelphia 76ers without presumptive MVP Joel Embiid takes game one of their Eastern Conference semifinals against the Boston Celtics, 119-115. Over in the West, Chris Paul injured. Phoenix Suns down two games to none to the Denver Nuggets. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your host, the big, bald, and beautiful one, Raymond Parch Third. Of course, I'm joined inside the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette by the producer extraordinaire, Mr. Dawson Izerlowe. He is a master of many things. Analysis, check. Education, check. Living a healthy lifestyle, check. Taking your phone calls, check. Making sure his coffee truffle mug is properly washed out and doesn't have soap residue, not a check mark this morning. How's it feel to
3: be drinking soapy water? I don't. It's not soapy water. The problem is because I don't know. I washed it last night. It's not like I washed it this morning, and so it was drying. It was upside down. It was drying. So, only thing I can think is that it just—it's just got some sort of a residue. Maybe it needs a trip through the dishwasher to kind of really get that off. But no, it's just got it's just—it's just, it's just kind of messing with the taste, messing with the. With the caramel macchiato flavored creamer that usually makes my mornings delightful. It's just messing with it. Well, that's that's no good. Our guy, Kevin Foote,
2: would say that's paw ball. It is. Yeah. I feel like you can push through. Now, I'll do my the, best. the question that you're going to have to ask yourself right now, because you took a sip before we went on the air and you made a face that can only be described as grimacing
3: in pain. I'm gonna get through it. I'm gonna drink it. or you're gonna keep powering yeah, through. Yeah. No, it's not like a it's not a it's not a in your face taste. It's one of those like it's an aftertaste. Mm. It's just kind of a little like, but maybe my breath will smell better because I have a little soapy <laughs> freshness there. Good morning, bud good morning it's Tuesday it's,
2: it's only Tuesday. Yeah. yes, it's only Tuesday. We do have a tremendous show lined up for you today. We're gonna to be talking Houston Astros baseball. With Brett Chansey of the Locked On Astros podcast. He'll be joining us. Uh, By the way, Dubon was really good
3: again. The MVP campaign's back on the rails. The guy is... Phillies figured out how to get him out, but that's the only team. Nobody else. That's the only... Well, the Phillies got a lot of guys out
2: for, for the Astros over the weekend. But back on track with a win over the San Francisco Giants last night. We'll talk about that. And... The concerns about the Astros' pitching staff, back-to-back games where one of their starters leaves the game. Yesterday, Urquidy gets placed on the IL. Is Garcia about to join him?
3: Lance McCullers is still on the IL, by the way. Well, and I don't want to put this into "spoke it into existence" category, but when you know people were starting to ask, "Well, McCullers comes back, how many? What are you going to do with the rotation?" and I said, "Look, like." These things tend to work themselves out. Typically, and somebody's going to go down. You now, go. you'd prefer it not to be two guys in two days, and McCullers still not be back when it happens. But you still got Hunter Brown, you got depth, yeah. And we'll see if Forrest Whitley—he's waiting down in in the minors—and that I was be not really
2: expecting to have Forrest Whitley to be returning.
3: Well, and the other thing is JP France, a guy who actually mm. uh, went to high went to high school with my cousin and I you know, played, oh. played against a little bit. Uh, he was oh. a lot older. mix yeah. it up a little bit with the the connection. No, I mean, well, it's it's kind of cool to see. Like, he's a guy who, uh, he was like a senior when I was a freshman. So, I don't think I played against him much, if at all. But, you know, of course, he was a name. It was a guy who ended up playing at Tulane. And his kind of, you know, he transferred to Mississippi State for his last year. He's been in the minor leagues forever. But now he's all of a sudden kind of emerged as the Astros' top pitching prospect. So, he could get the call. That would be interesting to see. So we'll talk Astros as well as six degrees
2: of d with Brett Chancey coming up later on today. We'll talk all things McNeese. It was a tough weekend for the baseball team. They dropped two of three at Incarnate Word. Are they still in contention? Can they get back on track? We'll talk about that with Jim Gazzolo of the Lake Charles American Press. And, of course, we'll talk NBA playoffs with our buddy Ali Cassell, editor-in-chief of the Bird Rights. You keep looking inside that cup thinking that it's gonna taste different, brother. It's it not got that taste got that, that sip got a little better. It might have just been at the top. And we'll keep you posted if Dawson all of a sudden falls ill for ingesting soapiness
3: inside of his what are you drinking? What's the coffee? Coffee. But
2: you added some uh, type of fancy bougie so, well, creamer so to it. So it's
3: nitro the coffee itself is nitro cold brew, which is what I make. I have a little machine and Oh, of course you do. Well, listen. I like coffee. All right, and and you know, four forty-five in the morning. Sometimes you got to do something to get you through. Um, What's wrong with just a normal pot of coffee? Well, I like cold coffee. So nitro cold okay. brew is cold. Okay. Um, so that's that's the first thing. I mean, I'm not opposed. So to- so it, when you brew it. Okay. Are you brewing it cold or are you brewing yes. it and then then chilling it? So there's there's two different ways I do it. it depends how lazy I feel. I can buy the pre made cold brew uh-huh. and then put it into the nitro dispenser that adds the nitrogen. Or okay. you can or I sometimes make cold brew, which I have a little cold brew, you know, maker where you put in the grounds and they soak in the water. Just wow. depends on the day. Um but anyway, yeah, caramel macchiato flavor creamer is what, what I said earlier. That's well, what you're In
2: our house, first of all, I don't drink coffee. But in our house, my wife drinks coffee. Uh, I I set up the coffee pot. It's normal community coffee with water. And it comes and it brews into a pot hot. And then she adds half and half to it
3: and a little uh, sweetener. I mean, that's that's very close to what I'm doing. There's just some slight differences there. There we go. There we go.
2: Coffee culture. I don't understand it, man. I just don't. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, the line's always long at Starbucks. Well, yeah. And I just go, and I just go, why? <laughs> See, it's weird for me. Because I'm old enough to remember where, you know, I'm like, my parents used to drink coffee at night. Like, the coffee pot would never turn off. It'd be on it. I was like, how do you go to sleep? <laughs> yeah, well, no, I'll, just, I'll have a cup just, of decaf at night, but yeah. <laughs> there was no such, there, there, there was no decaf. The green lid coffee didn't come into existence in my life until far later. But let's start off with the NBA playoffs. Some of you probably have to drink a strong cup of coffee to stay up late to watch them. Let's start with the first game. 76ers Celtics. What's the deal with Boston? Like, like, I, I just, this is a team that went to the NBA Finals last year. Pretty much has the entire roster intact. Now, the difference is the coach. And we saw them mess around, play with their food in the first round where they needed more games than they should have against a team in the playing tournament, Atlanta Hawks. And they're taking on the Philadelphia 76ers without Joel Embiid. The NBA awards will be announced today. We expect, or tonight rather, we expect Embiid to win the MVP award. So, no MVP candidate, and you're at home. Their defense was atrocious, man. Like, they were shooting 70% or something crazy like that in the first half, and they were only up by three because they didn't play a lick of defense. And they got guys that play defense on their team. I can't figure out Boston this year. There's something off about them, and I'm not saying that they're going to lose this series, but they just haven't looked right. And credit James Harden for coming in, dropping 45 points, 17 of 30 shooting. My man made seven of 14 three-pointers. He was on fire. Once again, the denim Lady Gaga Met Gala outfit he wore to the arena probably helped. But they got contributions, Maybe gave him 26 to buy his Harris is still out there getting a paycheck. He had 18. And let's give it up to PJ Tucker. Can we give it up to PJ Tucker, Dawson? My man played 37 minutes last night.
3: 37. It's about
2: the team. 37. He didn't have to get a shot up. Not only did he not score any points, my man says, I'm not even taking a shot, D-Lo, because it's about my.
3: Boys on the court. It ain't about me. I don't need to take a shot. It's a strange box score. Um, <laughs> Was not landed. only for him, but like, so Boston, in this game, Boston shot a better percentage. 59% yes! as opposed to 51%. Like a pretty big difference. Shot um, decent from three. They got outshot from three by a little bit. Um, they made more free throws and shot 94% from the free throw line. They out-rebounded Philadelphia. Yes. and they lost the game by four. Like they outdid every category. Yes. Now, they had 16 turnovers to 6. That's Whoa. where you kind of maybe take a look there, but like Boston played well enough to win this game in most statistical categories and they couldn't find a way to do it. And James Harden, man, how about a performance like that when you when your best player is out? And now this Philadelphia team, you get a boost like that. That was supposed to be a this was supposed to be a throwaway game without Embiid. And they're thinking, well, maybe they could steal game two if they get him back. Now you're up 1-0. You got a chance to steal another one. And we
2: felt that this series was going to be like a seven game series anyway, right? It was going to be a dog fight. But now Philly's up 119 to 115. And look, Boston, like you said, they shot well. Tatum had 39. Brown had 23. You'd like Marcus Smart to give you more than twelve points, and Al Horford's out there still getting paycheck, stealing money.
3: Horford had a big shot in the in the closeout game of the Atlanta series. Let's not let's not give too much hate to Al Horford.
2: The man is old. The man is not nearly the player that he used to be. The man's getting paid a lot of money to be an average player by NBA standards. Okay. I can be critical, Al Horford. I love that you came to his defense. I don't know why. I'm sure there's a connection through a cousin, and somehow that went to Tulane, that worked the concession stands for a game pick up basketball game at a park somewhere and somehow you know Al Horford. I understand. I'm not coming for your fam. I do not know Al Horford in <laughs> any way, shape, or form. Now look, this is not to say that this series is over. This is not to say that Philly's going to win this series. But once again, Boston is just messing around, man. Like, I don't know. It feels like there's a... I expect them to be better defensively and they, they weren't very good last night. Let's go over to the other game that was on tap last night. Nuggets win 97-87 over the Phoenix Suns. They now lead two games to none in this series. Chris Paul leaves the game with an injury. Kevin Durant was not good last night. You're going to tell me, RP3, KD had 24 points on 10-27 of shooting. The man put up 27 shots, Dawson. He only made 10. He was 2-12 for the three-point range.
3: Defense back. I love a game like this, honestly. When you show me a oh. box score where nobody hits triple digits in the NBA, which is, I mean, what, maybe one every... You oh, might not I'm even. I'm here for it. I'm you here might not it. even see one every week in the and, NBA. And the if Denver's going to play
2: this way defensively, you have to like their chances. And, and Yeah, as long just,
3: as Jokic is giving you his, um, which, like, Phoenix, I don't know if there was a clear like matchup there that you liked about how Phoenix was going to defend Jokic, but it hasn't worked so far, and they're going to have to make some major adjustments.
2: Well, f- first of all, you don't even bother to put DeAndre Aiden on him, because that's not going to work. But you look at Phoenix. Chris Paul is now hobbled. He left the game with an injury. Durant was awful last night, and DeAndre Aiden is apparently has severe allergic reactions to rebounding the basketball as we found out in game one over the weekend booker gave him 35 but it wasn't nearly enough and you know what's sneaky good about denver and we keep saying no one believes in the nuggets because they always flame out in the playoffs because their style of basketball doesn't translate to the playoffs right that's what That's been the big narrative. You know what Denver has that Phoenix doesn't? Depth. That's what they have. Yeah, Phoenix's bench was awful last night. And you look at it, yeah. Jokic, 39 points, 16 rebounds. Phenomenal, right? 17-30 from the field. But Murray had an off night and they still won. Think about that for a minute, Dawson. That's their second best player. And he had an off night offensively, 10 points, 0 for 9 from 3-point range. So your second best player was essentially, was non-existent offensively. And you still won by 10 points. Because you had guys like Aaron Gordon, who's been a great player for them. Step up and give him 16 points. Caldwell Pope who was part of the Lakers bubble team, right? Wasn't he on that Lakers bubble team that won the I do believe he was. Gives you 14 points. And here's the thing. Denver only played three guys off the bench. It was an eight-man rotation last night for Denver.
3: I love 36-year-old Jeff Green.
2: The man doesn't age. The man doesn't age. He's still playing. It's amazing. Is that
3: series over? No, it's not over
2: just because, again... Durant
3: can go off any night and give you 45, yeah, and so can Phoenix, it, you know, both games were in Denver, so you get back to Phoenix, and you know, but... The Paul injury is huge. Yeah, and how effective is he going to be if he plays? That's, of course, a factor now, like, but Phoenix has enough firepower to win a couple of games without him. It's just, they got to they gotta be able to score, and they weren't, and, you know, Denver defensively is doing a lot of different things, but... I do I am interested to see game three. I think Phoenix gets back on the board here. But you know, then my, my doubts with Denver, like, and I'll take it if they lose the series. I just think I had to see it for them in the postseason. But like we're starting to see it, so good for them now. They've got to continue this. They gotta carry things out. You gotta keep your foot on the gas absolutely. if you're Denver. Yeah. You don't want to give this Phoenix team uh, some signs of hope. Especially again, a group that's like we don't know how well the, the, the chemistry within the locker room is. This team has this group hasn't been together that long. No, they haven't. So don't give them a reason to kind of rally together here.
2: Now, they're going to rally because they're going to go back home, and they're going to rally because Paul's
3: injured. But, yeah,
2: NBA playoffs continue on tonight. Game two of the Eastern Conference semifinals between the Miami Heat and the Knicks. Heat are up one game to none in that one. And then game two – or game one, rather, of Lakers-Warriors. Ooh. It's going to be the late game. I'm not going to get much sleep tonight, am I? No, I am not. we got to take a timeout. When we return, a big-time player for the Louisiana Raging Cajuns football team abruptly decides to enter his name into the NCAA transfer portal. We'll tell you about it next right here on The Game.
1: This is RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU sports update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
2: Trey Amos, starting cornerback for the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, local kid as well, played his high school football at Catholic High of New Iberia, helping them win a state championship and then helping them to another state championship game. He worked his way up from special teamer and backup to a starter last year and was going to be looked upon as one of the leaders of this team's defense for the upcoming 2020 season. Well, quietly over the weekend, he entered his name into the NCAA transfer portal, and he made it official yesterday. The deadline to do so, by the way, was on Sunday. Made it official with an announcement on social media, and then he started sharing all the offers that he has received. Oregon, Auburn, Illinois, Ole Miss, LSU, Michigan State, Miami, Florida, Alabama.
3: We'd just like to, that's Miami comma Florida. Um, like just wanted to. The also, U. No, I'm saying Miami and Florida. Yes. So like Billy Napier has made an offer. Yes. Yes. Was there not enough applause there? I apologize. Oh, just because Miami, Florida is sometimes how you refer to it. If you're specifying it over Miami, not Ohio. Not to be. There we go. There we go. There
4: the we Red go. Hawks have a nice oh, little
3: program going right now in the Mac. They're that, trying to. Is oh, that they do? I mean, look, Toledo. Big Ben and, went there, you know. You got a lot of good programs in that conference right now. The Ohio Bobcats, you know,
2: Miami they've had a couple, and they have. There we go. <laughs> we could do this for hours. This little routine that we do. This is a huge loss for the Raging Cajuns, and look, I wish nothing but the best for Trey. I hope he gets the opportunity. It doesn't always work out. All right. It, it just doesn't. You know, we live in this era now because of the transfer portal and we'll do a deep dive on this. You know, you get a chance to go play in the SEC, get a chance to go play say at Florida or LSU and you think, "Hey, I was a star at this level, I'm going to be able to be a star at that level." And sometimes it works. And sometimes it doesn't. Right? Sometimes it doesn't. And just look at what happened at LSU this last year. Now, we expect Kyron Lacey. He had a good spring. They're counting on him to possibly be. But he struggled making that adjustment. Right? Makai Gardner looked like he was going to be a draft pick for the Cajuns. He goes to LSU. He went undrafted over the weekend, by the way. But a cornerback from South Alabama got drafted in the fourth round. So it could work or could not work. And wish him nothing but the best. But this is gonna be now the standard operating procedure for a program like the Cajuns or a program like South Alabama. Because what the transfer portal has done is very simple. You develop the player, you recruit the player that the big boys didn't want, you develop them, and then when they get to a point where the big boy programs feel that they're good enough, they're going to come poach them from you. This is what's going to happen moving forward. It already has. Look at LSU's roster from last year. McNeese, UL, Florida International. Those guys were starters for LSU last year, for Brian Kelly's team that won 10 games and played for the SEC championship. This is going to be the standard operating procedure. And you talk to coaches that are at the Sunbelt level, you talk about coaches that are in the Southland Conference, this is what they know they're doing. Brian Kelly went and got a player from Southeastern Louisiana that's going to be a starter for them. So this hurts high school kids as well. This is the other thing about the transfer portal that we don't talk enough about. Because of this, bigger programs go, instead of taking a chance on a kid out of high school where I may invest in them a scholarship, invest weight room time, invest coaching, and they may not work out, I know I can look on film and this kid at Southeastern Louisiana or this kid at UL or this kid over there at McNeese, well, I know they can play because I can see the tape. And I know that's more of, they play the percentages. That's a guy that I know can probably play better, at a, can play more than the kid out of high school. And we're seeing it. This is what's happening. This is going to be the new norm. It doesn't mean that half your roster is going to be gone, but for Coach Dez and guys like him, not only are you going to have to re-recruit, not only are you going to have to recruit your own guys, you're going to have to re-recruit your guys, and know that every year you're going to lose guys to the transfer portal.
3: Which makes it—it's a weird thing, right? Like, I, and I don't know how the re-recruitment of your own players really works from a, from a level of of doing that, but it's a strange concept. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of different ways to look at it. Like, I look at Florida State. Mike Norvell's like really embraced the transfer portal, right? And I got to see that kind of firsthand. Uh, their best defensive player last year is Jared Verse. He came from the University of Albany as a transfer. Yep. Which it's like, how did that guy even end up at the University of Albany? Like, right now, and he actually forego- forewent the draft and is going to come back for his senior season. Uh, the reason but he's why likely going to be a first-round pick. The, the, the big thing is that some of these kids don't stop growing,
2: one. Right. Right? So, I, I didn't stop growing until I was 21. Right? So... A lot of these kids if the transfer to, portal was around when you were playing oh, I mean, that, all, there you the opportunity to had line. A lot of these kids don't stop growing, right? And and some guys are late bloomers. And that's the problem. And before an SEC or Big 12 team, you know what they do? They go get a kid out of JUCO. Well, now Group of 5 schools and FCS schools are now glorified JUCOs for the Power 5 schools
3: yeah and it's it's like on one hand again like Jared verse deserved an opportunity past the University of Albany if he wanted it and he got it whereas you know five six years ago he might have had to play out his career there and then hope that he was noticed to get to the draft so I get it um as far as Trey specifically, You know, the one thing I would say is it's tough to go to a program after the spring. Spring's already over. He's not going to get a chance to go in and practice until the fall. Correct. You know, if he's going to one of the places that he's been offered so far, which you'd assume he is, you know, going to take a big step up as far as size of the school. It feels like he's going to be in the SEC, yes. There are going to be, like, you're not going to just walk into that room and be, and them go, you're the guy no matter what. Like, he would still have to earn a starting role. Now, the other thing with Trey, though, is he's got two years, so he doesn't have to... This isn't a one-year... It's more like a Kyron Lacey situation than Makai Garner, where Garner, I think, thought he was more ready to just step in, and he did. He stepped in as a day-one starter at LSU. Um, But it's... Yeah, from a Louisiana education perspective specifically, like, this is brutal. This is the second straight year that your number one cover corner, the guy that you thought we're going to put on everybody's best receiver and forget about it and we'll worry about the rest, leaves you kind of late in the process. So... You know, Coach Des and that defensive group—they've got to kind of figure things out in a hurry now. And you know, they do have a transfer coming in from Southern and Glenn Brown, and that—that that now maybe his role increases. Like, there's going to be—but that's the thing. It has—it has a trickle-down
2: effect for sure. Where, okay, now if you're UL, you have to go. Where can I go get a guy from the Southland or the SWAC or D2 to come in? And 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 the thing that we don't talk enough about. This hurts the high school kids because now we are seeing less guys getting offered. And I'm not talking five-star blue chips. They are still getting recruited, okay? I'm talking about your guys that are borderline three stars that used to be used, you used to put on your roster that LSU or Alabama or Texas or Oklahoma would put on there. Those guys aren't getting opportunities now. They're just not.
3: Yeah, and now the blueprint for one of those kids, as opposed to like you're saying, the the blueprint for that kid uh, five years ago was probably go to UL, redshirt my freshman year, maybe play a little bit, and then sophomore, junior year, um, especially by senior year, you'll be playing regularly. Now the, the blueprint for that kid is go see if you can play at Nichols, or if you, can see if you can play at Houston Christian, or see if you can play at Southeastern for one or two years, and then see if you can go to UL, or maybe if things go well, you can go to a Power 5 program. And it's like... You have to have these different steps. Now, which is better for those kids? It, that depends on the kid and what it they want to the do. Depends on the kid, right. But, yeah, the the guy who says, "I you know, I just want to go play for the Raging Cajuns and I'll sit and I'll wait my turn, you, you, you're not really necessarily going to get that chance as as often. Now, it's interesting, again, Coach Dez, like, really values recruiting high school kids. So, with UL specifically, it's maybe not quite the same. And he, but, he recruited yeah, a lot Trey. Of, and Trey a lot went of program, to his so.
2: alma mater. Like, in... in and look, Osiris Torrance, Montreal Johnson both went to go play for Billy at Florida last year. Makai Gardner, Kyron Lacey transferred and landed at LSU, and Imani Bailey left and went to TCU. And now they're going to lose Trey Amos, who's going to go and probably end up at a Power Five school as well. You know, for a program like the Raging Cajuns, in a two year span, when you lose six starters, they're to impact all conference type of players. That's not something that's easy to overcome,
3: and, Just it's, isn't. and it's also not to mention you lost Dante Fleming to Tulane. You lost um, yes Brandon Bishop as well as um, Fleming to Liberty. So like you lost guys to similar programs. Now those are more like probably fit and playing time situations than Correct. taking the next step like Trey's is. But yeah, it's tough. And now you you know you, you finish up your spring. You probably think you're kind of starting to put some pieces in place, and now. Kind of scratch that out at corner and start looking. We got to take a timeout.
2: More RP3 and Company, though, coming up right here on the game. This is
1: RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
2: Is that correct? Yeah, I did, which is absolutely insane. And the Saints were my childhood team growing up because I love watching 9 play. Um, And that is just so unbelievable that I, I literally would wear... Drew Brees jerseys, I'd wear Saints beanies, and uh, having the opportunity to go play in New Orleans is is really just going to be a dream come true. That's new New Orleans Saints quarterback, rookie draft pick Jake Hayner. when asked, did you wear number nine because of Drew Brees? And in fact, he did. And actually, there was photos circulated on social media of him as a kid rocking the Drew Brees number nine jersey. He Brees was his favorite player. Now, there was a lot of how would I describe this scuttlebutt over the weekend about the Saints spending a mid to late round draft pick on a quarterback out of Fresno State. Look, it doesn't hurt, and and it doesn't hurt in this regard. You got Derek Carr; he's your guy, right? Great. Jameis Winston has decided to continue to humble himself until the point where he'll be a clipboard holder for the rest of his career. But you got him to come back to be your backup, right? Has Jameis proved that he can stay healthy the last couple years? No. So you spend a mid-round draft pick on a kid who, by the way, if you look at the film, you look at the numbers, wildly efficient. It doesn't hurt to have a guy that you like, because obviously they took him, they like him, that can be your number 3 quarterback on the depth chart.
3: It, it, how's that a bad thing? Well, I had that whole argument with Kevin Foote, and I don't know how much of it you heard, but essentially my argument was it it is well worth the risk to draft a quarterback every few years with the chance that that guy develops into your future franchise quarterback. And... I think it's better to have a quarterback when you don't need one than to have to get one when you're trying to win. You never want to be desperate. Which, like, And I argued with Foot about it, and I said, the Saints got Derek Carr, but how close were they to not getting him? And then where would they be right now? A pretty good roster with a lot of pieces with no quarterback and no real signs of being contenders. Now they have their guy. So I think, look, Jake Hayner, and this is a guy I loved coming into the draft, and I, I talked about him a little bit. I didn't get to talk about him as much, but again, I just I didn't think the Saints would go this route. Um, I don't know if he's ever going to be a starter in the league or or an All Pro type player, but I think he's going to be at at the very least a very good backup. He has Fresno State ties. He knows Derek Carr. They have a relationship. He went to the same school that Derek Carr went to, by the way. That's Fresno State. That's correct. He knows Drew Brees. He studied film with Drew Brees recently. Uh, he looks up to Drew Brees, as we just heard. Um, he's a gamer, too. Like Fresno State, Jake Hayner, I don't, if people didn't watch a whole lot of him, I'm, and I'm sure a lot of people didn't because he played on the West Coast and he played in the Mountain West. Fresno State was really, really good uh, a couple of years ago, and Jake Hayner actually kind of made noise going into the transfer portal. Then he decided to come back instead to Fresno State, and they, to borrow a Kevin Foote term as well, had the definition of a medicine season last year. Early on in the year, had just devastating injuries everywhere. Jake Hainer missed a couple of games. He's a good player, right? And look, if
2: he turns out to be Russell Wilson or Kirk Cousins, guys that were mid to late round draft picks that turned it out great, great. I don't even, I'm not even going to go there. I'm not saying that he's going to be Drew Brees 2.0. I'm not going to say he's going to be Kirk Cousins. Here's the deal. The Saints showed you what happens when you don't prepare to have injuries to your quarterbacks a couple of years ago. Did you forget about having to start four different guys just a few years ago? So, once again, you have your starting quarterback. You have a guy that knows your system that's going to be your backup. Taking a flyer on a kid that could develop into a reliable backup could be like a Chase Daniel type, could be a Tim Rattay type, whatever. However, backup quarterback, Mark Brunel, I don't care, pick one. It doesn't matter. That's not a bad thing. Not every not every pick has to be a home run. That's the problem with fans. Every, well, this guy's got it. Well, well that fifth-round draft pick, he's got to end up being an all-pro. Why? Sometimes a fifth-round
3: draft pick helps your team by just being on the roster. Oh, and like, for real. The other thing to remember about it, Jake Hayner, looking. I think the upside is there for him to be a starter, potentially, if things go well. But, Jameis Winston, that's a one-year thing. And if things go well as Jameis would like them to, he's going to be gone. So now you have your backup in waiting. If he's a third string quarterback, and you now don't are you don't have keep him on the to roster? worry
2: we'll about going out next offseason. If you like Jake and you develop him and you lose Jameis, like you said, Dawson, guess what? Now you don't have to worry about going out and getting a backup quarterback.
3: And Definitely. to that point with the relationship between Jake and Drew, he was actually asked, you know, like, he's spoken with Drew now. What is What has he learned in his conversations with Drew Brees? Yeah, I think the biggest thing for Drew and, and, and him kind of telling
2: us was always know where your outs, outlets are and try to do everything you can to avoid negative plays at this level. Uh, negative plays kill drives, kill momentum. Uh, so Drew really made it you know, a priority to always know where his outlets are every snap and... Do everything you can to avoid negative plays. Even if the kid is just a warm body, it's worth a mid to late round pick. Like, well, I, the Saints didn't spend a second round draft pick on the kid. They didn't. So, this is great value. Hey, he turns into something great. If he doesn't, that's okay too. That's okay too. People got very upset about that pick, and I just don't understand. Do you not understand roster construction? Like, I just would you would you rather them not draft a third string quarterback and then go spend extra money on someone in free agency? Is that what you want? Like, I I don't understand things. I tell you someone that I'm a high on. That's the young man out of Wake Forest. A.T. Perry, he's good. I have no idea why he fell. I have no idea why a lot of those wide receivers fell, Hutchinson being another one from Iowa State. But they get A.T. Perry. He just kind of falls in their lap. They have to give up uh, Adam Troutman, who, you know, I didn't get an opportunity to show what I could do. Well, you drop passes, and you let an undrafted wide receiver turn tight end beat you out for your job. So that's why you're in Denver. Done with Troutman. But A.T. Perry... What kind of player are the Saints getting in the former Demon Deacon?
3: Uh, I mean, I'm kind of a quiet guy, but, uh, you know, when I get in the game, you know, I'm smiling, I'm laughing, I'm just out there having fun, you know what I'm saying? And going out there getting a dub with the team, um, you know what I'm saying? I love being around my guys. Uh, I'm, team, I'm, team first, I'm a team first kind of guy, so, um, you know what I'm saying? Having my brothers back and you know, just going in there and making plays, and you know what I'm saying, celebrating with each other.
2: You know what the Saints love in AT Perry, and a lot of the guys in this draft check the the big box for the Saints. A lot of these guys were team leaders, team captains, stayed out of trouble, good in the locker room, unselfish. It's kind of what they like to do. These guys have the right mindset when they come into a situation and I'm telling you, I just, I think, I think when it's all said and done, At Perry could be the steal of the draft for the Saints. I just think he could be the steal of the draft for them. Now it's not to say that it won't. We've seen a lot of these guys sometimes don't work out. But Saints fan, if he gets on the field, whew, you're gonna like him. You're gonna like him. Go watch the tape. We gotta take a timeout. When we return here, in RP3 and Company. We'll unveil the poll question of the day. Wrap up hour number one. You're listening to the game.
1: This is RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is known across Acadiana as a master of the English language.
2: You look at all the guys that they got. Clinton Anukuraru? oof, And I don't know how to pronounce this young man's name. TJ Falola? More like a master of broken English, that is. They also added an inside linebacker, Casey Wasawi? These names are killing me, man. I even practiced <laughs> last night. Me
1: fail English? That's impossible. Now back oh, to that it. silky smooth delivery ready. of RP3 and company on, on the, the game. game. 103.7 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
2: Oh, Astros got the win last night, 7-3 over the Giants. Dubon had three hits, including a tie-breaking RBI double late in the ball game as the Strohs improved to 16 and 13. But Garcia had to leave the game early. It's another game with a starting pitcher for the Astros having to leave. Arquiti has been placed on the IL. We don't know about Garcia just yet. Still, Lance McCullers still has yet to come off the IL. So that's our poll question of the day. How concerned are you with the Astros pitching injuries? Right now, 38% of you say not worried, so much depth. 31% 31% say slightly concerned. 19% say it's fairly alarming. 12% say the season's over. Ralph on the Twitter says, do I look concerned? And of course, he shared a GIF of someone in a hammock because it's a hammock season, as our guy Kevin Foote says. Tom says, I know every team deals with it, but geez, seems like every year, multiple times per year, still it's a bit concerning, but Strohs will figure it out. JPK, the OD says, medicine season going to sneak up on you. I can hear footer now. Has he gotten to the point where this is – he is. He believes this is a hammock season, not a medicine season, correct? Yes, hammock season. How many more injuries have to happen? Brantley, Altuve, Lance McCullers Jr., Urquidy, uh Chaz McCormick. Uh, we're getting pretty close, right, to it being a medicine season, but I guess for him medicine season applies to – when you struggle,
3: not necessarily injuries. Yeah, yeah. we'll have to get an update on his feelings on that.
2: <laughs> Keep voting on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter and we'll share them throughout today's show. We'll talk more about the Astros pitching injuries as well as Dubon just continuing to light it up with Brett Chancy of the Locked On Astros podcast. He joins us to kick off hour number two. That's coming up next right here on the game.
0: Whoa!
1: Everything, everything, everything going to be all
0: right this morning.
1: Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Izerlowe and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3.
2: Our number two has arrived on this edition of RP3 and Company. We are broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. I'm your big, bald, and beautiful host, Raymond Parch III, better known as RP3. I'm joined, of course, inside the studios by the producer extraordinaire, Dawson Iserloh. Our number one, we focused on NBA playoffs. Talked a lot about that. Talked about Trey Amos, Louisiana Raging Cajun starting cornerback, entering the NCAA transfer portal. And we also touched on some of the later round Saints draft picks and the Houston Astros getting a win last night, 7-3 to over the Giants to kind of get back on track, set the tone early for this series after dropping 2-3 of three to Philly over the weekend. But they have some injury issues yet again. To break it all down for us is the man – who was at the game last night, a man who's the host of the Locked On Astros podcast and a contributing columnist for 1037thegame.com. Brett Chancey joins us now. Brett, good morning to you, brother. How are you?
0: I'm doing great today. How are you doing today,
2: sir? I am doing amazing. So, all that starting pitching depth, mm. um, it's needed because Urquidy... Gets pulled for an injury. Now he's on the IL. Lance McCullers Jr. is still on the IL. And now Garcia has to be pulled last night early. Don't know what his status is going to be. We'll find out probably later today. But it's another season with the Houston Astros having to deal with starting pitching being injured.
0: Yeah, this is not – this is less than ideal. You know, I know in the offseason Jim Crane said himself you can never have too much pitching but yet they didn't address any, like, concerns with, oh, well, do any we more pitching depth? And they didn't go out and get any more pitching. They, you know, they signed up Rayu, and they, they re-upped Montero, but they didn't go out and help themselves in that department. And so now, in hindsight, that's looking like they should have gone and done something, because uh, if you would have told me, a month ago that we'd be dealing with this, I'd be like, ah, there's no way they're all going to be injured, three guys at the same time. But you know, here we are. Um, because I guess the struggle now is are you almost putting too much of a workload on Hunter Brown early on and are you going to wear him out come October to where, you know, he doesn't he may not have the longevity that a veteran pitcher might have. So there are some other questions that are going to start cropping up.
2: Does this mean with Urquidy on the aisle, possibly Garcia on the aisle, does this mean that we're going to get Forrest Whitley 2.0? Uh,
0: you know, we may get Forrest Whitley sooner than what they want him to come up. You know, my whole thing with Forrest Whitley was let him stay down there until you're absolutely sure that he's ready to come up, bring him up when he's ready. Um, I think J.P. France comes up. You could see both of them come up. Um, those two, and then Sean Dubin, are the only three starting pitcher depth guys on the forty man right
2: now. I know it's early, and the Astros though do like to make moves at the deadline. With we still don't know when McCullers is coming back, and it's not to say that Urquidy when he comes back won't be won't bounce back. And right, I mean it's only May the second. But right. could you see them be in play to go get themselves a veteran starting pitch uh starting pitcher at the deadline?
0: Oh yeah, definitely. I mean I mean I would I, I would think that would be priority number one. Um I mean, you can't have too much pitching. It's not just a cliche. I mean it is it is literally, you know, you need between nine and twelve starting pitchers to make it through a hundred and sixty two game season, especially in today's game. So you've got to be looking at who we're going to go get, who's out there, what do we have to – if it's a trade, what do we have to trade, what do we have to give up? So I think that will be the more tricky part is if it's a trade, what are we going to give up and who are we going to let go of in order to get that starting pitching? Um, so if a team knows that you're going to contend or the pitcher they have is someone that – Um, they know you can use, they can drive the price up on you real quick. So that's going to be the trick.
2: We're talking with Brett Chancey, the Locked On Astros podcast. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. Let's talk about something that's positive and not the starting pitching. Dubon, he got held in check by Philly over the weekend, but, man, he came up huge last night, three hits, including the tie-breaking RBI double there late against his former team. Could you make a case that he has been the Astros most valuable player to start the season?
0: Oh, by far. I mean I mean, how do you how do you step in for Jose Altuve and how do you do what he's done without you know, people being able to say, This guy's the best player on the team right now. I mean, you know, I know Jordan, I know Tucker, we, we know the talent that all the other players have. But for him to step into a main role and not just do well, but be a star in that role, um, he absolutely is right now. And you're going to have to find a way to keep him in the lineup every day, even when Altuve comes back.
2: Brayu has been, I don't want to say struggling, because I, I don't think he's been absolutely awful. But he's definitely not been what they thought he was going to be. And he looks like someone he looks more like Yuli Guriel from last year than Yuli Guriel from two years ago. Am I completely off base for saying that? <laughs> no, you're not. Um
0: no, you're, you know, that is that's that's probably pretty accurate. Um he is a historically slow starter, and he actually is second in hits on the team, but he hasn't hit hit in the way that the Astros expected him to. They expected him to hit with more with runners in scoring position. Um, They, you know, they expected him to get more doubles and stuff like that, and it just hasn't been happening. So, um, you know, I think we saw last night's game more of what you're going to see from Abreu going forward. You know, the word is that once he gets going, he doesn't look back. So I'm hoping that April was April and that we move on because we definitely need him to be better than he was the first month.
2: What if he doesn't get to that point? What do you do?
0: Well, (laughs) you're, you're, um, you're stuck with paying a guy $58 million guaranteed for the next three years. Mm. Um, You know, you don't really have any options. You can't, you can't trade them. I mean, you're kind of stuck with them. I mean, people keep wanting to say they want Yuli back, but Yuli's not coming back. And when the Astros moved on from him, in their minds, I think they thought they made a good choice. And Yuli happens to be hitting better than him right now overall. But I still think Abreu is, in these next three years, will be the better signing. Um, you just got to ride the horse. I mean,. I mean, he's there in the stable. You gotta, you gotta figure out a way to get him seeing the ball better and making better contact.
2: When can we expect Michael Brantley to be called up?
0: Michael Brantley, probably. I would, I would say, I would say mid-May. I, I, I would be shocked if it's beyond that. Um, you know, they're for some reason slow walking him back in, and I don't know if it's because of Brantley. I don't know if it's because they're giving other guys more at bats you know that sometimes comes into play when you know players are injured so I would I would say the next couple weeks we should be getting an announcement that Michael Brantley has returned to the to the ball club
2: so you're expecting his rehab assignment essentially to be at least three weeks long which is a little bit on the long side but that's because the Astros or Brantley or both have decided to slowly bring him up right?
0: Yeah, and I think right now with Brantley's absence is you are giving more at-bats to some of these other players, you know, like Duvon, like Jolks, and, you know, just these guys, when they're not there, somebody else is having to step up. And so that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, I have even heard last night uh, Dusty Baker said that when Brantley returns that he will be playing some first base. So... I mean, they're looking at using him in ways this year that they've never used him in the past.
2: What do you make of how Jake Myers has performed since kind of being thrust back into the starting lineup after McCormick's injury?
0: Oh, I mean, I mean, nothing nothing other than just excellent. I mean, that's what you do, right? If if you're the guy who lost his job to an injury and never really fully regained it other than the club saying He's never not been the starter. But you come in and you perform the way he's performed. You make the adjustments at the plate. And then you're making diving grabs in the center field. Um, Jake Myers, to much of Chaz McCormick's fans' chagrin, is really stepping up and kind of becoming the player that they need him to be right now. So I think it's a welcome addition to to the Astros lineup and I hope that Jake continues this upward trend.
2: Do you believe that he's going to uh, remain the starting center fielder whenever McCormick gets healthy?
0: I think that as long as Jake Myers is doing what he's doing, I think that it is his job once again. I, I just I don't I don't think they've ever moved away from Jake being the starting center fielder and the feeling in Houston was and he, you know, I was even in this camp that you know you know, McCormick had, had earned the spot because of what he did the postseason. But the club then made it very clear it's a competition, and Jake never was removed as the starter. He was just recovering from an injury. So if he keeps going the way he's going, I don't see any reason why he shouldn't be the starter. You know, I mean, if you earn your spot, shouldn't you be giving the guy that's taking the best reps the job? I mean, it's not about emotion or who we like. It's about who gives us the best chance to win at the moment. And it might be Jake Myers.
2: Get you out of here with this. Do you feel like Jeremy Pena is starting to turn a corner? Oh
0: yeah, I, you know this this kid. We saw him make adjustments last year, um, late in the season. He was uh, he was clutch in the playoffs, and you know he re, he replaced a guy, Carlos Correa, who had that playoff gene, who had that clutch gene. And it, through his season, I think Jeremy will make adjustments. The league will adjust to him. But he's such a student of the game, and and he works very hard at what he does. Jerry Pena, I think, is going to continue to trend upward as well, and that's a good sign for the Astros. Um, If they can keep his power numbers up, I think he's on pace to hit 36 home runs. um, Jerry Pena is going to have, I think, a very good year um, at the end of the year.
2: Brett, appreciate your time. As always, keep killing it with the Locked On Astros podcast, brother, and we'll talk to you next week, bud.
0: Hey, thank you, sir, and to everyone in Louisiana, go Astros. That's G-E-A-U-X, go Astros. Y'all have a great one.
1: This is RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. <laughs> RP3 is the epitome of a high roller, constantly making
2: large bets. But by doing that, the minimum bet is a dollar for a win, a dollar for a place, a dollar for a show. So it's essentially a $3 bet that netted me a cool $6.70. What?
1: Okay, so he's not a risk taker. He's your best bet for sports talk. 19. Hit me. 20. Hit me. 21. Hit me. 22. two. Oh! Don't! Now back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
2: Poll question of the day. How concerned are you with the Astros pitching injuries? Usually Brett Chancy is Mr. Positivity. Dlo but our guy was not exactly on cloud nine about the issues with the pitching staff with their injuries. Once again, just to recap, Lance McCullers Jr. is yet to come back for this season. They had to place Jose Arquiti on the IL. Garcia left yesterday's game early with some sort of injury. We don't know how long he'll be out for. Not great. Not optimal. Not to mention... That this team is still missing Jose Altuve to injury. McCormick is out with an injury. And Michael Brantley still isn't back. He's doing his rehab assignment, which Brett says he expects him to do that until the middle of May. This team is banged up, man. It's a banged up team. And they're
3: still above 500 right there It's in amazing. The it's
2: amazing. How concerned are you, though, with the Astros pitching injuries? Right now, 35% of you say slightly concerned, 30% say not worried, so much depth, 22% say it's fairly alarming, and 13% of you have believed that the sky is in fact falling, the season's over. (laughs) It's May, it's May. Salty Steve says, open up and say, ah, medicine season in effect, you don't need two degrees to see this coming. The run has to eventually stop. I don't think it stops this year, by the way. But the Strohs have had a great run, right? It's been a tremendous run. They've been the best team in baseball for the last six years. Six straight ALCS appearances. Four... Trips to the Fall Classic, to the World Series. And they've won it twice in that stretch. That's a great run. That's so difficult to do. Six straight ALCSs. Four trips to the World Series. Two World Championships. Eventually, as Kevin Foote would say, you eventually got to pay the Piper. Eventually, you got to pay the Piper. It's going to end. And these things usually happen unexpectedly. I don't think it ends for the Shroes this year. I still think they're probably the favorites to win the American League. I still think you could see them in at least the ALCS. But they've been on a tremendous run. and Those don't last forever. They just don't. I still like their chances this year, but man, the injuries are kind of piling up on a team.
3: Yeah, but I don't I don't think that means also that like I would disagree with Brett about them regretting not making starting pitching moves. I mean what did they think three guys were gonna go down? Like you can't really make those moves. Because if you if you actually it would it would have made less sense for me if they had assigned a starter and then pushed a guy like Garcia out of the rotation. So I, I don't think you needed to make a move. And I think, look, even now, I think you're still fine. You're going to call up J.P. France or Forrest Whitley, and, and those guys, France has pitched very well in the minors. Whitley has certainly had mixed results.
2: I, I think I think the counter-argument to, to your argument would be this. I, I agree. That's probably what they do because they have guys that they can call up, right? But during this run, it's been anchored by veteran pitchers they've gone and gotten. Garrett Cole, Justin Verlander. Zach Grinky; those are not homegrown prospects. Those are not guys that they developed. Those are veteran guys they went and traded or signed, and that's been key to this run of six straight ALCSs and four World Series in a six-year span, and winning two of them is because of the veteran pitching. Now, Framer is someone that they developed their own. Garcia, Arquidi. So, the, so it's a
3: mix. It's a mixture of the two, but who's your veteran guy? You don't, I mean, Framber, he's been, now he's he's pitched through World Series runs. He's won World Series games. I mean, you, I don't think you need, you have Hunter Brown is the guy who is replacing the veteran innings that are lost, and Hunter Brown has been outstanding so far. He's been outstanding, but not to be argumentative, he's never pitched a full season. Right, but he's your fourth guy.
2: I, that's I, that's I, the thing. I understand that, but you can't devalue Brett's point of, It's a young arm that hasn't pitched a 162-game season. I would be concerned about putting too much on his shoulder, so to speak. So who else is going to step up and pick up the slack? Look, you got Framer. He's your ace. I'm not debating that. But in the run, the Astros have been aggressive in going out and getting a veteran guy. That's what they've done. That's been part of their DNA and how they've had success here. Remember, Verlander was a trade deadline guy. Garrett Cole, they went out and got. They got Zach Grinke. So, I think they're going to be fine. Because you still got Valdez and you still got Hunter Brown, like you said. I'm more worried in the grand scheme, not necessarily with their health, but like, Urquidy hasn't looked necessarily right this year even before the injury. And you go, what's when is McCullers coming back? Right? Now that would be a huge shot in the arm if you get him back. I think they're going to be fine, but I do think they're going to be a player at the deadline. That's why I asked them. They're going to be a player at the deadline for another pitcher. It's going to happen. They're going to look at it. They're like, yeah, we got Hunter Brown. We can call up these young guys, but they're going to make a play for a veteran pitcher. And they may have to send Orkiti or somebody like that back to make it happen. But that's what Jim Crane likes to do. And he's the one that signs the checks. And I just don't believe that all of a sudden he's going to change his tune now when they have a chance to try to win back to back. Like I, I just don't I just don't see it.
3: And and they'll again, July thirty first is a long way away, and they'll make that's that correct. decision when they have to. So I just think for now, you get a chance to see, and I think it's almost a good thing, get a chance to see what you have in these two young pitchers that have both shown you some promise but haven't had a chance to do it at the Major League level. Um, if they're not ready, then you'll be able to send them down. I don't think Garcia and Arquiti's injuries are going to be season-ending unless no. we, you know something happens that we're not expecting, so... I think it actually could end up being a positive for you. And again, yeah, McCullers is always going to be a bonus. I think you kind of treat that, again, the way maybe the Saints treat Michael Thomas' this season. Like It's if, land yap, right? If it happens, that's yeah. great. But McCullers has never been consistently healthy, so it's not something we're counting on.
2: And the other thing is that during that run, the Astros have always found a way to deal with injuries to their pitching staff and still get to six straight ALCSs, right? So this is not a new thing for them to deal with. So that's the other part that's in their favor. They have that ace up their sleeve. They know how to do this. They know how to deal with this. But man, they've had a they've had a ton of injuries early on not only to the pitching staff but across the board. But I do believe and I agree with Brett, I do believe the center field job is is Jake's and McCormick's not getting that back. Like Jake's showing you his potential. And uh He's stepping up. He's hitting in a big way, too. Got to take a timeout. When we return, hey, maybe we'll take your phone calls. Game hotline's open, 337-706-0111. You can chat it up with us, or maybe you can just ask some personal questions to Dawson Izerlowe, get to know him a little bit better. We can do that as well. We're flexible here. This is the game. Oh, Mio, my crawfish pile. What a Tuesday edition of RP3 and Company. Can we give a shout out? Can we take a moment here? I know, I know we spend so much time talking about sports and we've broken down the NBA playoffs and talked about Trey Amos leaving the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, entering into the NCAA transfer portal. We talked about the Houston Astros getting a win last night, DuBon being on fire. All right. We talked about their pitching injuries, but can we give it up? To the producer extraordinaire, Dawson Iserlo. Let's Let's, you know, if you're out there listening, driving to work today, you know, don't take your hands off the wheel, obviously. But when you get to a stopping point, let's let's applaud this man right here, battling through, battling through, ingesting some soap residue in his morning coffee. Yet he's found a way to power through and to be extraordinary when it comes to producing this show. Thank you, thank you.
3: I'm not sure where to go with that, but I guess I guess I appreciate those kind words. <laughs> it's a compliment. You always downplaying at two degrees. What are you doing over there? I I don't know. Just trying to uh, <laughs> just trying to keep things rolling on a Tuesday.
2: Just trying to keep things rolling on a Tuesday.
3: Matt Degg's had some interesting. Oh, out, there it you? is. That's what we call a transition, my <laughs> friend. Nice. You know, it was it's, it was absolutely a devastating weekend for the Cajuns and. They really did play well enough to beat Coastal, a, t- a top-ten opponent. They played well enough to win two out of three. And they kind of get the uh, a quite, quite the opposite end of the spectrum. So they go from playing a top-ten opponent at home. Now they go on the road, and they have to face a team who gave up five <laughs> touchdowns gave, on Saturday. They
2: gave up 35 runs in a single game a week after giving up 20. 20- how is that even possible? They've given
3: up 60 runs in two games if you take those two games in the, in, in the last two weekends. That's like enough runs allowed in you know four or five series. D-
2: does a little part of you, as a proud University of Louisiana Lafayette alum and diehard Louisiana Raging Cajun fan, which you are, but you're a professional, you go cover other things. Does a part of you kind of want to make the road trip up to Monroe to see what the Cajuns' lineup can do against ULM and just be there to witness them possibly putting up five touchdowns? Like, is is there just a little part of you that says that's worth the three-hour drive to Row, Louisiana? If there was something to do in Monroe, maybe they have a, they have a tremendous. As someone who lived there for a year, by the way, okay. There's an Irish pub near the Monroe New Star, which okay. is 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 enjoyable. I spent many a evening there after work, and they have a nice like Coca Cola Museum House there,
3: and they have a mall. So- well, Matt Dex, uh he said that the Cajuns simply aren't going to overlook the uh, Warhawks of
4: Monroe. We, uh, I wouldn't expect that out of our group. Uh- they're hungry to play great baseball. Uh, nobody's worked harder. Nobody cares as much or put in more time than these guys have. And uh, sometimes I think that can have the re- reverse effect on us. We want it too bad or try too hard at times, uh, especially some of those two outrunner and scoring position positions uh, that we find ourselves in. Uh, but like I told you this morning, we've proven we can beat anybody in the country. We've proven we can lose to anybody in the country. What we've got to do is find that, that good wave and ride that thing to the finish line and, and see how hot we can get at the end. I like what you said there towards the end. Uh,
2: the, the stuff in the beginning was, you know, it, it's a little bit of coach speaking. Well, no one works harder. Well, you know, we don't overlook opponents. Well, what happened against James Madison? What happened against App State? Like, so I get it. And they should go in there this weekend Delo, and just absolutely crush the faces of the Fighting Warhawks, right? It, this should be an annihilation of a series. Carson Rockefort should go 10 for 11 in the three games, right? It should be with a bunch of walks, if you're trying to do the math. This should be a get-right type of weekend. But... This is a team that's lost five of six Sunbelt Series. This is a team that's lost two of three to App State. This is a team that lost all three to James Madison. You can't have that much confidence that they'll go in there and absolutely mollywop ULM because you haven't seen them consistently do that against a Sunbelt Conference opponent in a long time.
3: Right. The other thing about it is I think and fans you can get caught up in this in this idea of how your team should play and what they should do against an opponent. The other thing is that the opponent still has to play and thank you. Like there's not saying that Monroe's not going to play well. Like Monroe beat Mississippi State early in the season in a midweek game. Like they they have played well in games this season. Now, they're not a very good team overall, and so you need to find a way to win these two or three. But that's not to say they're not going to play well in a game. So I think try to evaluate each game with the idea of your team's ability to play well and up to their abilities, but also the opponent. Like, I think a lot of the James Madison series was that JMU played better than they had played in a long time. Now, you could have played better yourselves, but it's not like you just played an awful series and gave them all three games. Like, they they went out, I mean, they hit a walk-off homer in the bottom of the ninth inning with a runner-on down, and then and that, that stuff, that wasn't... You know, you didn't hit it for them like they hit a walk-off homer. So I think that's something to keep in mind as well. And you're exactly correct. That's a great point because fans forget that you look at
2: it. There's nothing more dangerous in sports, in sports talk or sports fandom, than schedule predictions, right? First of all, injuries always play a role you never do know who's going to get hurt and more importantly matchups inside the games it doesn't matter if it's football basketball baseball or softball there's no such thing as a gimme in sports that's what makes sports great there's not a gimme every time you think you have it figured out something unexpected happens that is the drama of sports in itself. That's what makes it so fascinating. That's what hooks us. That's why we're obsessed with it. Because anything can happen on any given day. Yet, that fundamental thing that makes sports great, we push it aside, we try to ignore it, because then we go, well, oh, that's going to be a win there. I mean, Raging Cajun fans probably thought, it was going to be a win when they went on the road to James Madison. They just had beaten LSU. LSU fans probably thought, well, the Cajuns have been struggling for a month. That should be an easy midweek win because we've defeated everyone else during the midweek, right? And what happens? Cajuns beat LSU, and then a couple days later, they get swept by JMU. This is what makes sports great. So, yes, on paper, as we like to say, the Cajuns should easily defeat the ULM Warhawks. But guess what? Those guys on that team, they want to win too. That's what makes sports great. That's what makes sports great. Matt Diggs also broke it down. Look, as it stands right now, we know based on their RPI, they're not an at-large team. They could have Helped themselves a big way if they didn't let Sunday's game slip through their hands and take two or three from top ten ranked Coastal Carolina, but they didn't. So, they have work to do. ULM this weekend, then a midweek game at Louisiana Tech next week. Then it's at home versus Texas State, and then on the road against Southern Miss. So, if they want to play their way in, not only into contention, to possibly be an at-large team they still have to fight their way just to make sure they secure a spot in the conference tournament which is not a done deal that's why Matt Deggs made sure to say they're focused and their message he and
4: his coaches to their team one day at a time one game at a time I think Nazu's gonna give us our best shot on Friday night and uh you know, depending, we're in a situation, Kev, where we need to win one game at a time. And so all hands on deck, kind of like a tournament, right? We'll do whatever it takes to win that one game. And uh, just with some of the injuries that we have and whatnot, I think that's the way to go about it. And, and the stuff I saw Nezu feature, first, second outing of the week, uh, was the best stuff I've seen out of one of our guys this year. And That's the
2: right approach. They have to have that approach, Dawson. There's, there's no other way to look at it. They've put themselves in this position. The pitching hasn't been where it is need, needed to be. And some of the guys in the lineup haven't really flourished like we thought they were. So now they're in this position where they're going to have to scrap and battle to get into the conference tournament. And the crazy thing about this, D'Lo, is this. As it stands right now, May the 2nd, 7.45 on this glorious Tuesday morning. This team could end the season not in the conference tournament. This team could end the season number six and get one of those buys. Or this team could end the season being the second or third best team in the regular season standings. So everything is still in front of Matt Deggs and his squad. Everything is still in front of them. Go sweep ULM, get a midweek game against La Tech, take two or three from Texas State, and take two or three from Southern Miss, and all of a sudden we're talking about a team that's going to be ranked in the going to be top three, top four for the conference tournament. Or you mess up and slip up at ULM. You mess up and lose two or three to Texas State, and all of a sudden you could be sitting at home for the conference tournament.
3: That's where they're at. Yep, They got an opportunity. Um, The good news is the lineup's as deep as it's been all year. John Taylor and Connor Higgs have added length to it, and now everybody's back healthy for the time being. So you have Vouveon also hitting the ball. So everything is, like, putting – is coming together in the lineup. Just got to get some pitching performances. And, like, Jackson Nez has got to be – I, and, you know, his stuff has been good at times. He's got to give you consistent innings and, and give you a really good outing at this point. And I think, you know, he's got a great opportunity to do it against Monroe. They're not, um, you know, they're not the Bronx Bombers. They're not good. They're not the best hitting team in the country. So <laughs> they they have no. scored some runs at times. When they gave up 35, they scored eight. You know, that's usually a pretty good number. It doesn't really work when you give up 35, though. So uh, you got to get some good outings, you know. Davy Christie's got to start to show consistency. You need something out of, you know. Again, Cooper Rawls get back to where he was, and and if all that comes together, then yeah, they have a chance to win some games. I think at large is probably set sail. I mean, unless you went on a crazy run here. So I agree. You got to start focusing on. Yeah, I, they I, could, I like that. Look, treat you, it like a tournament. Got to treat it like a tournament. If if they take two of three against Texas
2: State and Southern Miss, and then make a run in the conference tournament, maybe, but. I agree with you. They, they, they still control everything. You know what they could possibly use?
3: Just going to throw it out there. A break to timeout or no?
2: Maybe some um, some volunteer uh, coaching slash pep talk from uh, my daughter, Hattie Elise Parch. That could probably do it. Whew. I mean, look, she pushed me to make sure to get underneath an hour for the 5K for Festival International on Saturday. If she can make the big, bald, and beautiful one, do that and get under 50 minutes, by the way. I have the certificate to prove it. If she could do that, imagine what she could do with the Raging Cajun baseball team. I'm just saying, throwing it out there. We'll make a phone call to Matt Deggs, see if he's interested. Just saying. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on the RP3 and the companies. What are we going to talk about maybe update the poll question of the day maybe take your phone call maybe dawson will dazzle us with something in that big old brain of his that's coming up next right here on the game
1: this is rp3 and company on the game 1037 lafayette and 1041 lake charles southwest louisiana's sports station your home for the lsu tigers and houston astros go subscribe to the games youtube channel at the game louisiana That way, you can check out the latest original videos and more shenanigans from the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station.
2: Hey, don't forget to go vote on the poll question of the day. Are you concerned about the injuries to the Astros pitching staff? Not worried? Slightly concerned? It's fairly alarming or the season is over. Go vote and leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. And I assure you that we will share them throughout today's show. But right now, I want to take a couple minutes here to, to, to say something. For all the people out there that think, you're able to grade a draft before three years has passed. Stop huffing paint. Stop it. It's one of the stupidest things we do. Instant grades on drafts. First of all, The players haven't even played a game for you. How do you know how they're going to perform? How do you know if that player's going to work or if it's a reach or not a reach? It's the dumbest thing we do in sports. Let's grade the draft. The Saints got a B minus or C plus on their draft grade. What? What kind of nonsense is that? It's dumb. It's stupid. It's an absolute waste of time. I get it. There's essentially an entire, uh, what do they call it? A specialized industry, right? About this. The draft experts, the same people that leading up to the draft that are telling you that Will Levis is going to go in the top five are the same people that are sitting there grading teams' drafts. You got to wait three years. Three years. That's what you got to wait because sometimes it takes wide receivers and tight ends times to develop. It takes quarterbacks times to develop. It takes to see what happens with coaching like this whole notion that you can grade someone like it's a freaking leap test based on the draft is one of the stupidest things we do in sports media and in sports culture. Is the leap test still around? Yes my daughter's going through it right now as we speak.
3: Good for that that test has outlasted plenty of Things that I didn't think it would outlast, didn't think it would still be around. But no, uh, no disagreement there. I think it's ridiculous. I brought it up on footnotes yesterday. I just, I, I just, yeah, I can't stand it. Um, I, I thought maybe, I thought maybe there were a couple scrimmages that took place on the draft <laughs> stage afterwards. Once, well, it was big enough, it right? Was. The
2: walk yeah. from the green room
3: inside Union Station to the stage was big enough to have a scrimmage take place. You don't know, talk about some late, late evaluations for draft stock, you know, guys, is if they kind of were winded by the time they got to the podium. <laughs> You could have maybe been like, well, maybe we shouldn't have taken that guy or not. Um, Yes. No, I agree. Draft grades are ridiculous. And um, just, you know,
2: what are we doing? Don't click on that stuff. Don't. Don't click on that stuff. Don't listen to that. Wait to see what happens with your own eyes for your team. Just wait and see if it works out. Sometimes the draft picks do for 2017 for the Saints. It worked out magnificently. Maybe the best draft class they've ever had. 2020,
3: not so much. No, oh, and yeah, and like, again, I think there's a difference, too, between giving a take a, and, and, and us talking about how we feel about it and, like, just assigning a letter grade to it because, like, what factors are you? You'd have to create an entire, you know, set of boundaries that you're grading it on because, like again, like, what do you mean? Is it is it based on value? Is it based on anything? So, yeah, it's silly.
2: Oh, That's going to do it for hour number two. I'd get that ran out of my system. That way I can enjoy the rest of my day. Hour number three, we'll kick it off with Jim Gazzolo of the Lake Charles American Press talking all things McNeese. That's next right here on The Game.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: Everything. Everything. Everything going to be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Izerlowe and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3.
4: Our
2: number three has arrived here on RP3 and Company coming up. Half an hour from right now, Ali Cassell, editor in chief of the Bird Rights, will join us to talk all things NBA playoffs. Don't forget also to vote on our poll question of the day. How concerned are you with the Astros' pitching injuries? Right now, 31% of you say not worried, still have plenty of depth. 31% of you, though, do say slightly concerned. 22% say it's fairly alarming. 16% believe the sky is falling and that the season is now over. Robert Duplichan on Twitter says, it's entirely too early to be concerned. Simmer down now. He didn't say that. I said that. Keep those votes coming. though, on our poll question of the day and leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Right now, it's time for us to welcome on our next guest. He is the McNeese beat reporter for the late Charles American Press. He's also host of Poke Nation on television. He's also the host of the McNeese Coaches Show right here on The Game 1037 Lafayette, one zero four one Lake Charles, every Wednesday evening, starting at 6. It's our good friend, Jimmy G. from L.C., Jim Gozolo. Good morning, my friend. How are you? I'm fine, Raymond, as always. You sound amazing. You don't sound like you're doing your best Eeyore impression at all. Glad you're here, bud. We're doomed. (laughs) Just talking about the Astros pitching. We're
5: doomed. (laughs) Never gonna get out of here.
2: Oh, there it is. All right, let's start off with the baseball team. They had an opportunity to climb up the standings because that's uh, that's what you that's who you cover and that's why you're on the radio with me. Uh, Sorry, we're not here to talk Chicago White Sox baseball. uh, There's
5: a lot to talk about there. Okay,
2: they have an opportunity on the road. in Incarnate Word and. They dropped the first two games, some hard-fought games, and they salvaged the series by avoiding the sweep. What went wrong for Justin Hill's team on the road in San Antonio?
5: Bullpen. Um, lost two leads late the first two days. Uh, really, 7-4 lead the first night, which is the night you, you need to win with Rogers. And really, it was just bullpen both nights. Um, that, that was the key, getting the last out and they couldn't do it, and uh, it cost them. And they're at five hundred uh, in fourth place, I think, uh, really with some of the limitations they have. That's about right, actually.
2: They still have opportunities, and they have a good one this week when Lamar comes to town, and Lamar's tied with them there in the standings at 9-9 nine and nine as well. And their team that's won four straight games – they're twenty-five and eighteen on the season. Is this a must-win series for Justin Hill's team?
5: Well, I, I don't think they can win the conference, so I, I think uh, winning now is uh, you're, you're going for pole position, basically. Um, so, yeah, I think they need to win the. I think they need to win some series the next two series to kind of position themselves. Better for the um, the tournament, but uh, I don't think they can win the. I don't think either team can win the league now.
2: I did not have on my bingo card that McNeese would be tied for fifth, and Southeastern Louisiana would be the worst team in the Southland Conference. I did not expect that this season. Uh, it se- still seems to be completely wide open. It does feel like Incarnate Word may have the leg up for the regular season title, but it feels like. They could win the conference tournament, or Nichols, or Northwestern State, or even McNeese, or even Lamar. Is that what it feels like to you that the Southland is going to be completely wide open for the conference tournament?
5: Yeah, I think so. I think it'll come down to depth of pitching, like it always does in a tournament. But yeah, I think it, I think it's pretty wide open. I don't see anybody really running away with this league. I don't. I don't see any great team. I don't see any uh, anybody that has. I would say heads and tails over somebody else It's going to be whoever pitches well that week um, really is the key to this because I don't see a lot of people with three starters. And if you don't have three starters and a complete bullpen, it's hard to get through a tournament. So there's going to be some high scoring, I think. we are going to see some scoring.
2: <laughs> what can Hill do with the bullpen? Because it's been an issue all season long and Really, pitching beyond Grant Rogers has been an issue all season long. What can he do here coming down the stretch?
5: I think he has to find a guy to bridge. I think he, I think he can decide on three starters if he wants to with uh, Grant Rogers, Burrell Jones, and Ty Abraham. But he needs to get something more out of um, Derek Cherry whether that be a bullpen piece. I think you kind of have to decide on that. But once you get into this tournament, you kind of get into a position of who's available and what's available on that day because you have to win that day. And I don't know if there's enough – I don't know if you can do anything at this point except hope somebody comes back and, and, and gives you some kind of boost that you're not expecting. That's going, to be, that's going to be the key is which one of these teams finds a guy – that they're not expecting to do that all of a sudden rises up and gives you seven innings in a key moment or six innings in a key moment.
2: We're talking with Jim Gazzolo of the Lake Charles American Press. He's also host of Poke Nation and the Meet East Coaches Show. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. You know, when I look at the remainder of their schedule, Jim, three games this weekend in Lake Chuck versus Lamar, the Nichols game doesn't count for conference standings, but that could be a huge boost for their morale, especially after dropping two or three to the Colonels earlier in the season. Yeah. Then they wrap up conference play with a trip to Northwestern State. What do you feel like Justin's wants his team to do here, or what do you think the realistic expectation is with only two more conference series and one game against a conference opponent that doesn't count for the standings?
5: Well, he, he, he talks about trying to get this. he said he had to get this. he thought 16 wins would win the conference. He can only get to 15 now. Um, I think he wants to play well more than anything else. He wants to find some pitching, find some guys he can trust and count on moving forward, and then win series. Because if you win two out of three, win two out of three, you put yourself in pretty good position, and you, and you give yourself some boost of confidence that – we can do some damage in the tournament. You don't want to go in losing four of six or five of six because then all of a sudden you're on the downturn. So I I think that's the key is he's going to try to use the next three weeks, um, including the Miami of Ohio series, to really see if there's some guys he can trust and count on that that he hasn't been able to for the year.
2: The Miami of Ohio series is interesting because due to the scheduling quirk, they're actually playing a non-conference three-game set right before the conference tournament. How's he going to attack that? Because you could make the argument going, well, he may not want to use Grant Rogers at all because he wants to save him for the conference tournament because he's going to need him to be as rested as possible because he's going to have to pitch multiple times. Do you agree with that kind of mindset that he may just treat that three-game set against Miami of Ohio as – Hey, backups, time for you to go out there and play some baseball.
5: I think he'll play his starters predominantly in the field. I think he will probably use more pitching. I think Rogers will pitch. I don't think he'll pitch like – I don't think he'll go seven, eight, nine innings. I think he'll probably use him a five-inning game as a tune-up uh, in the first game, something like that, maybe four innings on a pitch count to make sure he's healthy going into the tournament. Um But, yeah, I think he'll he'll use it as a stepping stone to kind of an experiment with people. I think you'll see a lot of people throw uh, and see what you have. But it's an interesting time because you're set up to where you're used to playing so often. You really don't want to throw everything out. But you have to be ready to play the first game of the tournament, especially if you're a 6 or 7 team. This is where it gets interesting. If you don't have to play the play-in game – then you get that extra day's rest. That might be the key. So he'll know probably going in to that series, unlike other people, where he's fitting in based on the landscape, and he may be able to use it in different ways.
2: If this team doesn't win the regular season title, which we don't think is a possibility, or if they don't win the conference tournament, especially with what expectations were and the lineup they had coming back and the fact that they're probably going to have the – conference's pitcher of the year, and maybe even an All-American, will it be deemed a disappointment?
5: Um, a slight disappointment because I think the expectations were high. But if you, it, it always is the pitching. And how you develop pitching, how your pitching gets hurt, is it, always the, the kind of throwback to what could happen. And we didn't know much about the pitching. I will say this. The offense has not been as good as last year. For whatever reason, some of the guys that came back have not played and hit as well as last year. Power hasn't been there. And that, that's the big missing piece is the power hasn't been there. Um, they've been able to run like they have, but they haven't gotten the consistent hitting up and down the lineup, and they haven't gotten the power. And that's probably cost them a couple of games early especially. And they weren't, they weren't very good on the base pads outside of stealing bases. They gave away a lot of runs too early.
2: Jim, let's switch over to the softball team. Regular season wraps up this week. McNeese holds a two-game advantage in the standings over Southeastern, but the Lions did take two of three from McNeese just a few weeks ago. So the regular season championship will not be decided until this weekend. Do you expect the Cowgirls to wrap up the regular season title and clinch the one seed for the conference tournament?
5: Yeah, I do. I think they'll take two out of three, and their magic number is two, so that's all they got to do. Um, but it is interesting because it sets up the great rivalry for the tournament if they both get to the, the, the round to play each other because it's the only team so far in the league that's beaten them in a, in a series. So <laughs> it's one thing to be chased by somebody. It's another thing to be chased by somebody who's beaten you twice, um, and that allows... Southeastern to make sure if McNeese slips up this weekend, they could win the number one seed because they have the tiebreaker, and I think that is probably the motivation for McNeese to go out and win two out of three. But I I, I suspect they will. I expect them to and take the number one seed. But really, then it, it really comes down to the one against two, and what you do in the tournament.
2: Yeah, because it's really them because. With the exception of Nichols, there isn't another team that's above 500 in conference play in the entire no. conference. So, no, I, I would yeah.
5: I would expect it comes down to them and, and avoiding Nichols might be the key until you know you don't want to play nickel nickels southeastern. You'd be better off doing something else and let southeastern deal with Nichols. So that's where the seeding comes in a little bit.
2: All right, bud, we're we'll gonna get, get you out of here with football. Ooh, I know. Watch out now football gary golf got himself a heck of a player through the ncaa transfer portal a highly regarded recruit and a guy from the fbs level what can you tell us about the big get at wide receiver for golf in the cowboys football program
5: uh marcus peterson is uh a 6'3 218 pound um some people gave him four stars some people gave him three stars coming out of high school He went to Cincinnati, he looks the part, he can run, Um, and he came here, uh, decided at the end not to go to Houston for a visit, not to go to Colorado for a visit, and took McNeese over some people like Pitt and some other people with some big names. So it's a huge get because it's a a big need. Um, It was the most glaring need they had was wide receiver. Now, Sunday, they got to commit. Um from a defensive uh, tackle that they like, 330 pounds on a Navarra Junior College. They haven't gotten the paperwork on him, but they got a, the old Twitter commit now we get, where the kid goes on Twitter and says, I'm coming to McNeese. Um, so Gary Goff's excited about that, because his two needs were defensive interior lineman and wide receiver, and he's filled both holes. And he's still got a couple of other people he thinks he's bringing in for visits, so...
2: It's a big things deal. What's
5: happening in the Chuck?
2: It, it, things are you know you know why things are happening in the Chuck? Well, Do you I know? Don't know, Raymond? Why? Because you are Mr. Media in the Chuck. And when you are there, when the great Gazzolo is holding court in the Chuck, things happen.
5: Woe is me.
2: <laughs> Have a great day, brother. <laughs> there you go. Bye-bye.
1: This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3
2: doesn't play around when it comes to his personal life. I got one NFL team. I got one college team. I got one major league baseball team.
1: And the big fella's also monogamous when it comes
2: to his sports fandom. That's what I got my merch for. That's who I support. Period. Call me old-fashioned. The in. Call me old-fashioned. That's fine. I'll be old-fashioned. RP3
1: is just committed to providing you with great sports talk here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana. Sports Station.
2: Poll question of the day. How concerned are you with the Astros pitching injuries? Once again, Lance McCullers Jr. still not back. Jose Arquidi, last time he was out just a few days ago. He injured himself. He's on the I.L. Then Garcia leaves early yesterday's game now even despite all of this the Strohs still have Framer they still have Hunter Brown right they still have depth they We're talking about having a six-man rotation just you know a month ago so how concerned are you with the Astros pitching injuries not worried so much depth slightly concerned it's fairly alarming, or the season is over. Those are your options. And right now, 33% of you say that you're slightly concerned. 30% say not worried, so much depth. 21% say it's fairly alarming. And 16% of you say, no, no, it's not a hammock season. The season's over. The sky is fallen. It's over. Kai on Twitter says McCullers, Garcia, or What's going on? Jay Sumo says, "Hey, they could go out and get themselves a veteran pitcher. How about Trevor Bauer?" <laughs> that's never happening. That is never happening. You say you're not worried at all. So much depth, right, Dawson? That's what we. That's what we decided on.
3: I don't worry about. I, you've probably realized this by now. Major League Baseball just. It's. It's – I'm not worried. I won't be worried for a long time.
2: Man's not going to be worried. Not worried at all. It is a long season, right? It's 162 games. It is May the 2nd. Is it optimal to have these many guys being banged up in your rotation? Nope. Is it optimal to have Michael Brantley not yet up from last year's injury? To have Jose Altuve be injured? To have McCormick be injured? No. But once again, they've dealt with injuries before, seemingly every season. And yet, that didn't prevent them from going to six straight ALCSs, four World Series in that tenure, that time frame, timeline, and winning two of them. I think they're going to be fine now. If these injuries are a little bit more severe, like Dawson brought up earlier with Arcidi or with Garcia, and it's a little bit more, you know, a little bit more long term, then that's something to be probably concerned about. I do think you're still going to see the Astros be aggressive at the trade deadline with pitching, and it may not be starting pitching. I think they're going to make a move because. They're going to want to make a move. You know, Urquidy wasn't right even before he got injured. Garcia started coming around before he got injured. But we still don't know when Lance McCullers is coming back. And can you have enough pitching? No, you can't. The answer is no, you can't. And we've seen the Astros be aggressive. Verlander, Cole, Grinky. You know what they like to do. So maybe they go out. I do think what they're going to do for the time being because the trade deadline, as D to the low said earlier, is not until the end of July. So, you still have months away. But I could see them giving their younger guys and calling those guys up. Like Force Whitley. Like some of their other prospects and have them come up and eat up some innings and see what they got. And look, they may be pleasantly surprised that some of these young guys may have what it takes and prove that they belong. And you don't have to go out and go get you a veteran arm. Could very well be the case. But once again, it's May the 2nd. And even with all the injuries to the pitching staff, and even with the bullpen starting off the season, not great. And even with Jose Altuve being injured, and McCormick getting injured, and Jose Abreu not figuring out how to score, bring runners home when they're in scoring position, and even with Alex Bregman starting off sluggish and Jerry Pena looking lost for the first three weeks of the season. You know what the Astros are right now, Dawson? You
3: know what they are right now? They're above 500. There you a go. A game and a half back in the AL West.
2: There it is. So a team that notoriously starts off slow. They've dealt with guys being sluggish. Bregman, Pena, and Abreu, to more specific. They've had a rash of injuries, and yet... There they are, because here's the other thing. The Rangers are dealing with a ton of injuries too, right? And they've proven to maybe be your biggest threat so far early on. But it's a long season. It's a long season. So just be easy. Enjoy the fact that Dubon is playing absolutely out of his mind. Did you make the Dubon for MVP t-shirt yet? He has been the team's MVP for sure. <laughs> but no, not to Not, not for. Oh, okay. What's great about him is this not only the fact that he's filling in for Altuve like he has, but he is versatile. So when Jose comes back, guess what? If you want to give Jose a day off, you know you can count on Dubon. You want to give Jeremy Pena a day off, Dubon can handle that as well. You want to give Breggs a day off. He can handle that as well. You want to give one of your outfielders the day off, guess what? Dubon can handle that as well. Or you can bring him in as a pinch hitter or as your DH. Yeah,
3: he kind of is like an old-school Marwin Gonzalez for the Astros back Ooh. in the day. That's That could be really the role he plays. The only thing he doesn't have there is being a switch hitter. Everything he plays, basically the same positions Marwin did.
2: You can't have enough versatile guys on your roster. And Dubon put on the weight to get better at the plate. It's paid off in a big way. He stepped in for a Jose Altuve. He has stepped in as the leadoff hitter. He's a big reason why they're above 500, despite everything that's going on.
3: You know big who reason. else is versatile? You? Our next guest that we're going to have right after oh,
2: this break. Oh, oh, that's called transition. <laughs> that's called a transition. Ali Cassell. We typically talk Pelicans with Ali, our friend from the Bird Rights, but guess what? We're going to talk NBA playoffs. That's coming up next right here on the Game NBA playoffs they have been absolutely bananas so far and I think we're going to get some great conference semifinals as well moving forward and to break it all down for us is our friend the editor-in-chief of the bird rights Ali Cassell joins us now Ali good morning to you brother how are you
6: good morning Raymond doing great sun's out perfectly clear no clouds so it's a good omen right
2: It is a good omen, my friend, and let's dive right in. I want to start with the Western Conference. Are the Phoenix Suns in trouble?
6: You got to think they are, right? They couldn't beat a Denver Nuggets team where Jamal Murray couldn't hit the broadside of a barn, and Devin Booker was going off in that game. Kevin Durant wasn't really a slouch either, and even though Chris Paul left with an injury— you just felt like they should have had enough firepower to overcome and at least score 100 points, right? So neither team last night scored over 100. And I know they're going to go home, but it's really tough to see a path for the Suns to win this series.
2: Well, and Durant was no slouch, but he took a ton of shots, and his field goal percentage was awful, and he was awful from three-point range. Paul is injured, and they have a guy in DeAndre Ayton who apparently is severely allergic to rebounding the basketball. So how are you going to match up the rest of the way with the two-time defending MVP?
6: Yeah, Monty Williams has some difficulty in trying to figure that out. I don't know. Maybe you need to go small. Maybe you mm-hmm. put Torrey Craig on Jokic. I don't know because, look, the Suns have been trying to go traditional, right? Playing Ayton, but Ayton is not quick enough to stay with Jokic. Um, there has been some doubles, but really – how effective have they been, right? Not much. <laughs> He's still got, what, 39 points, and he can still pass out of any double team. So that's the problem. That's Remember when the Pelicans faced them, Jokic seemed to always get his numbers. The thing was, you just had to score more points. And the Pelicans did a pretty good job um, several times of doing that. So I think that's going to be the key for them. But the problem is, look up and down their roster, Raymond. Who do you turn to? I mean, I, I noticed it in, the, in the game last night. Josh Okogie caught the ball from either Durant or Booker at the top of the free throw line, wasn't guarded, took a couple dribbles in. Still could have shot a floater, but decided not to and passed it back out. If you've got guys like that out there that don't want to shoot the ball unless it's a layup for the Phoenix Suns, I don't know, like I said, how you're going to win. Devin Booker and Kevin Durant can't combine for 75, 80, 90 points, whatever it's going to take for them to get over 100.
2: I also think we've seen in this series what – could possibly help Denver finally get over the hump in the last couple of years and make a deep run is that they have quality depth and Phoenix does not. And that's going to be huge the remainder of the series.
6: Yeah, everybody thought that was going to play a, a major factor, and it certainly has. And look, Aaron Gordon, I, I don't know if people remember, he was actually talked about of possibly being an NBA All-Star, and I thought he's been great. Right, he scored a little bit more points in Game One, but I thought his defense on Kevin Durant last night was really, really good. So that was in part why Kevin Durant. What was it? Twenty-seven shots to score twenty-four, whatever that was. Yeah, you can thank Aaron Gordon. And you know, I said Jamal Murray wasn't hidden. Guess what? Michael Porter Jr. wasn't either. So they had Cavius Caldwell Pope. He had a couple big-time threes. First game it was Bruce Brown. So you're right. Raymond, they've got you know eight, nine, ten quality players out there as to where Phoenix – I mean, what do you think? They might have five if yeah. they're lucky, probably closer to four.
2: Yeah, I think I, – and I, I do believe Phoenix is in trouble. I, I still think they – look, when you have a generational player in Durant and you have another guy that looks like he's becoming one in Booker, even with Chris Paul out, you're, you're still going to have a chance. You know they're going to get a boost by being back home in Phoenix – and typically in these series, you see, you know, the home team win game three. So I would expect that. What's the path for the Suns to be able to actually pull out and win this series, in your opinion?
6: First of all, it's tough because they did everything they needed to in game two, where they limited Denver's offensive rebounding. And Phoenix doesn't shoot threes, Raymond. Not not this edition, not since the trade. I mean, they, nobody shot low, less threes than they did. So, I don't know. You're going to have to be just so perfect and precise. you got to get to the free-throw line, something they couldn't manage to do in game two either. And a lot of teams are struggling, right, in the playoffs because the referees are calling it um, a, a little bit differently. No more of those touch fouls or anything like that. So, I think Devin Booker's going to have to score 40, Kevin Durant in the 30s, and then you're going to have to get a guy like Tory Craig who in the first series had a couple of really big games for the Suns? You're going to have to get somebody else that's going to get to about 15 or so, and then Aiton, he's got to play tougher. I mean, there's times. Last night's game, Michael Porter Jr. blocked him at the rim, and look, Michael Porter, I know is about six, what nine, ten, but you're a center, you're seven one. You should be able to, you know, throw your weight around a little bit more. And Aiton just doesn't do it. He's got to have some kind of fire lit in him, but I don't think it's going to happen.
2: He's more of a finesse player than he is an old-school uh, post player. That's for sure. We're talking with Ali Cassell, editor-in-chief of the Bird Rights. He joins us here on RP3 and Company as we talk NBA playoffs. Let's stay in the West. We get Game 1 tipped off tonight between the old men of Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, and the Golden State Warriors who survived Sacramento. Just brutal loss for the Kings to lose at home in Game 7. They survived Sacktown. But now they get a Lakers team that a lot of people had ridden off a lot of the season, and yet LeBron and AD are right there in the conference semifinals. How do you think this is going to play out between the Warriors who were tested by the Kings and the Lakers who are here as well?
6: Let's just say right now that Adam Silver and all advertisers sinking money into the NBA are (laughs) extremely pleased to see this matchup, right? I mean, we've got nothing but good matchups, but this is the one, right? You've got the two best players over the last, what, 15 years or so in LeBron James, Steph Curry, multiple-time winners. And, look, everybody wants to see if the Warriors can repeat. And I think they're going to probably get past the Lakers because although LeBron James is only three years older than Steph He's not moving the same, Raymond. I don't know if he's hiding maybe a little bit still of some kind of injury, right? He ended last – or this regular season hurt. He he wasn't able to play much, and he hasn't looked the same really since. But he's got depth, as you just alluded to, right? Anthony Davis, when he shows up, Anthony Davis could be the best player on the floor. But the problem for the Lakers is that only happens, what, every other game? And we saw that, right, even in their first-round series against the Grizzlies. So. I don't, I don't know. I, I like the Lake or excuse me, the Lakers depth, but the Warriors, they have more grit and determination and championship winners. Right. Proven mentality winners. I just feel more confident in them. Look, Steph Curry went for 50 points on on, um, on the road. He's not going to be afraid of any kind of moment. And Clay Thompson usually shows up. You know, Draymond Green's going to bring that physicality and Kevon Looney. I think we should mention him. Right. He's been such a huge factor for them in having multiple shots on every possession because he's rebounding everything in sight. So I think he's going to give Anthony Davis some problems. So overall, going to be a great series. Going to love to see um, who wins it because it's really kind of a toss-up. But I like—I slightly lean towards the Warriors.
2: I lean towards Golden State, too, even though I don't think they're as good as they were last year. No. Um, and, and, and there are times where they look disinterested and they just look a little tired. I do wonder if having to go seven games with Sacramento is going to play a role early in this season where maybe they're a little sluggish against the Lakers and L.A. can steal a game here or there. But I do like Golden State to move on. Now, whether or not the Warriors can beat the Nuggets if Denver moves on, I I know everyone's going to say Golden State because they're the defending champs. But I, I think that's going to be a fascinating series if we do get that, Ollie. Let's go over to the East. You know, Jimmy Butler has never been considered a top 10 player, has never been considered one of the best players in the league yet. This guy just finds a way, especially when it comes to the postseason, to play his best basketball. Uh, who does he compare to for you when you think, like historically, who springs to mind when you think of, when you think of Jimmy Butler?
6: Well, that's a great question, one I haven't thought about. Because, yeah, not only does he step up his scoring and his playmaking, but he seems to elevate that entire team, right? They yes. all play as hard as he does. And so, oh, who was a great playoff performer that kind of just took a backseat in the regular seasons? That's a great question. Yeah,
2: he's not, he's not terrible in the regular season. He puts yeah. up good numbers, but he elevates his game when it comes postseason time.
6: Yeah, absolutely, and he plays with such force, like I said, and he seems like the toughest guy on the basketball court every yeah, time he out. Does. he does, oh. Now, let me ask Raymond, you. I wish I could come up with a great comp for you, and I, I, I just can't right now. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, well, we'll, well, we'll circle back to that next week, okay. okay? I'll give you some time to to do some research. Now, they take down Milwaukee. I know first of all, this is a Miami Heat team that lost in the playing tournament to Atlanta and then still came in and still knocked off the top seed in the Bucks and the the betting line favorite to win the whole title. Now they take on a Knicks team that's well-coached. They have a lot of good players on that team as well. Miami doesn't have a couple of their guys. Tyler and Victor are not available. They're out for the postseason yet. Miami took game one. Do you think Jimmy and the Heat can win this series?
6: They can win it, but look, I I feel like this Knicks team's plays a lot tougher than the Bucks. I feel like they came into the series more prepared as for the Bucks, I wasn't sure about their mentality. Um and you could tell by the way they played Giannis, right? He he missed a game and okay, we'll miss let him miss another game because we won that game too big against the Heat. I don't think the Knicks are going to suffer any kind of issues and we saw that, right? They raced out to a really good first quarter lead. Um but then, you know, kind of the Heat just did what they do, right? They chipped away. They completely stopped New York, especially the fast-break opportunities. And the Knicks couldn't make a shot. I mean, outside of Brunson, I I remember Josh Hart throwing up some air balls. Emmanuel Quigley, who really hasn't given them anything off the bench. Everybody liked him kind of for their sixth man. He's got to give them more. He just needs to be a bigger spark. So there's certain guys that can perform more. But I hope that Julius Randle comes back because when it does slow down, that definitely favors the Miami Heat. And and I know they've got Jalen Brunson, but – it looks like the Heat have him figured out where they're going to basically throw a wall at him. So kind of like the way Brandon Ingram has seen walls or Zion Williamson, that's what Jalen's facing. He needs a, a legitimate side pick, and I don't think that's R.J. Barrett. I think that's Julius Randle. So if he comes back, like maybe plays the next game or at the latest game three, I think that the Knicks can still pick the series in seven. I, I just like what they do overall to where they usually score well. They get in transition. They play just almost as tough defensively.
2: Let's go to the other Eastern Conference semifinals, and that's Philadelphia taking on Boston. I've said this before. Boston has been playing with its food towards the tail end of the season and all playoffs, and they did so again last night. Their defense was atrocious, and they're known for being a good defensive team as well, and even without the presumptive MVP, which we'll find out that out tonight, and Joel Embiid not being on the floor, James Harden goes off and takes over the game, and they win the ball game. And Philly steals a game, with a game they probably shouldn't have. What do you like? Who do you like in this series? And why does Boston just seem to be a little off?
6: I thought Boston was going to run with this probably in five if Joel Embiid would miss most of the series. Well, reality hit me in the face last night. And look, James Harden looked like he did several years ago. And he said in postgame, the reason he did, his role has changed since coming to Philadelphia. So last night, he was able to do what he used to do. And that was basically just look for his offense or set somebody up if he didn't have his shot. So for him to get to 45 points without really even getting to the free throw line was really impressive, right? Shot the heck out of the ball. And so for me, Boston's, really in big time trouble because you had an opportunity to take care of a problem which was Harden and they didn't do it they didn't try and slow him down nearly enough and he didn't really have Tyrene, Tyrese Maxey wasn't going off and I know Melton was in the first half but look you got to shroud James Harden and, and they failed to do it and now you know it sounds like Joel Embiid's going to return really soon. And now Harden's got confidence, and you're right with Boston. They've just been up and down to where they look like they are looking more to have fun in last night's game. I mean, that first half, Jason came. Yeah, it was great how he shot the ball and he made all these deep threes, but I'll tell you what, it didn't really carry over in the second half, and I don't I don't know where they're going to go because this Boston Celtics team, you're right, they've done this, especially coming down the stretch of the regular season, to where they lost to a lot of games to teams they shouldn't have lost to, and it was usually like an effort-related thing, right? So whether they can flip that switch, I'm not sure. Joel Mazzula, their coach, he's a rookie. So he's not going to be giving you anything extra, right, to motivate him like a Thibodeau or maybe even Hecadoc Rivers. So I don't know. It's going to have to come with from within. And I just feel like Tatum and Brown, they get a little too loose with the ball. They pound the ball too much. They shoot the three. They settle for too many shots. And if those are the guys leading your, your squad, I think you're going to be in trouble if the 76ers play as well as they did in that game, first game.
2: Ollie, appreciate you, Tom. As always, brother, enjoy the rest of the playoffs. We'll talk to you next week, bud.
6: Absolutely, Raymond. You do the same. This is
1: RP3 and company on the game. 103.7 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Do you think RP3 is the only nickname Ray has? Think again. Uh- there was
2: Little Veinant. There was Little Foot, Little Bubba. There was LD, which stood for Little Dufo. There was Ray Dog. There was Ray Diggity Dog. There was Fish. There was Fish Face. There was RP3. There was even Ramundo from El Segundo.
1: Back to the host with more nicknames than he knows what to do with. RP3, RP3. right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake, Lake Charles, Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
2: Oh, what a show. We had a good one today, bud. Shout out to you. Before we give a shout out to our guests, thanking them for coming on, can we just give a shout out to Dawson Iserlo for producing his tail off today, setting the tone for the rest of the station on this Tuesday?
3: That's an overstatement, but thank you. (laughs)
2: <laughs> I want to thank Brett Chancey from the Locked On Astros podcast, Jim Gazzolo from the Lake Charles American Press, and, of course, the McNeese Coaches Show, and Ali Cassell, editor-in-chief of the Bird Rights, for joining us here on this Tuesday edition of RP3 and Company. We asked you, the people, a poll question of the day. How concerned are you with the Astros pitching injuries? 32% of you say you're slightly concerned. 27% say Not worried. You have so much depth. That's where D'Lo is at. 22% say the season's over. And 19% of you say it's fairly alarming. I think it's too early. I think you can be somewhat concerned, maybe. But it's still way too early. And this team and this franchise has shown you that they find a way. Thanks to all who voted on the poll question of the day. Thanks to all who left their comments as well. We appreciate you making us part of your morning. What a show. What a show. Dawson, what do you think about us incorporating more singing from you and I into the show?
3: I think that's a bad idea. (laughs) Um, I'll say no to that.
2: As the man who controls my microphone... He has the ability to mute my tremendous voice as well.
3: Yes.
2: (laughs) That's going to do it for today's show. He's already done with me. I've been a handful this morning, as you can imagine. For the producer extraordinaire, Dawson Iserlo, a.k.a. D'Lo, I'm Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. We'll do it all again tomorrow, not to worry, 6 to 9, as we'll broadcast live right here from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. But until then... Be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foote and footnotes, which I would assume is going to be glorious, but maybe, maybe not, is up next right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station.